Good morning. It's good to see you all out this morning. Thank you all so much for being here. It's a joy, as always, to assemble together and to worship God on the first day of the week. I'm going to ask you this morning, keep your Bibles open to the book of 1 Corinthians. You can flip a couple of pages further to get to chapter 10, and that's where we're going to begin reading in just a moment. A study through the the book of 1 Corinthians is is truly a a fascinating one for a variety of reasons. You get this snapshot of a church in the early 1st century that has combined Jews and Gentiles and has found the truth of the gospel through Christ, but man, are there some struggles going on there. (laughs) There are some serious struggles that are taking place in that local body of Christians. They have conflicts ranging ranging from religious disputes, uh, legal disputes, dietary disputes. There are issues of sin that have taken place that are causing conflict within that local body. We read about conflict over who baptized them in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. Conflict as a result of worldliness and sin and immorality. Chapter 6 talks about some of those legal matters that they were debating over. There were marriage issues that were causing conflict, dietary disagreements, as I referenced a moment ago, beginning in chapter 8 and really carrying on through chapter 10. Disputes over the head covering in chapter 11, and there are others that could be referenced. This was a church who was seeking unification in Christ, but there were a lot of conflicts that were taking place among the brethren there. A lot of conflicts that Paul sought to help them work through. And as I think about that, and I think about the reality that we all live in, we are surrounded by Christians people who are seeking unification in Christ in the same way that the Christians in Corinth were trying to seek unification. Unification with one another and unity in Christ. But the reality is is that they came from different backgrounds and they had different life experiences. The reality is is they had differences of opinion. Some had slipped into sin and made some sinful decisions that affected their relationship with their brethren as well as with their saviors. Conflict is inevitable when people of different backgrounds, of different ways of thinking, come together to try and find unity. Conflict is inevitable. But one of the beautiful things that Paul points out as he helps these Christians in Corinth work through some of those conflicts is that set aside for just a moment some of the decisions that may have caused the conflict, Paul makes the point that in the midst of that conflict, you still have an opportunity to glorify God based on how you handle yourself. That must have been a powerful testament to the Christians in Corinth who probably at times felt like conflict was dominating their lives, dominating their discussion, dominating their thoughts. And it was probably wearing on them in a lot of ways. 
And Paul wasn't alleviating the concerns and the things that had to be dealt with, but he was making the point to them that regardless of what side of the conflict you may find yourself upon, you have a responsibility and an opportunity to glorify God through that conflict. He makes this point very specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and I want to begin there this morning. As I mentioned, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is, is continuing on really the, on the heels of the discussion around the eating of meat that has been sacrificed to idols and whether it's permissible to do that and, and some of the conflicts that have arisen as a result of that debate. And listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 beginning in verse number 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. Whatever you do, Paul had just dealt with all of the legalities and the specifics that surrounded the debate on whether or not it was okay to eat meat. And the conclusion that he came to was, this isn't, it shouldn't be a conversation about whether it's okay to eat meat or not, but this is a conversation over how you treat your brother or your sister in Christ and how you handle conflict with them. And what he says is, whatever you do in regards to this specific dispute, do all to the glory of God. And then he goes on, I think, to give us three specifics that I think can be really impactful for us today as we think about how we can glorify God in the midst of conflict. Whether it's conflict within the church, whether it's conflict within a personal relationship or with a spouse or a family member or a friend, whatever it may be, not only can we glorify God in the midst of that conflict, but we have a responsibility to glorify God in the midst of that conflict. And Paul gives us three ways in which we can do that in this text that we just read. And the first one is this, that we can glorify God through conflict by not being offensive to others. And I want to issue this disclaimer right off the bat, and I want you to carry it throughout the lesson for me. I am in no way, shape, or form suggesting that we back down when it comes to matters of truth. We must stand strong on the truth. We must not waver on that. And if that means conflict, then so be it. We must not waver on our stance of supporting and backing what the Lord has said. With that said, we have a responsibility to one another to do everything within our power in the midst of conflict to not be offensive to someone else. That means we have to give serious consideration to the words that we say, to the actions that we take. Because one of the things that can happen if we're not cautious about what we say, or we speak harshly to someone else, not only, not only can we be guilty of sin, but we can also put a stumbling block in front of our brother or sister that could cause them to sin as well. 
And Paul makes a point here that when you are seeking to glorify God in the midst of conflict, you be careful not to offend. Paul will reiterate this same idea in Romans chapter 13, or Romans chapter 14, excuse me, a chapter similar in a lot of ways to some of the disputes that are taking place in the church in Corinth. Paul is also having to deal with some disputes and some conflicts that are taking place in Rome. And listen to what Paul says beginning in verse number 12 of Romans chapter 14. So then, each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another any more, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Again, written to a church, dealing with conflict, dealing with disputes, do not put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Why? (laughs) Verse 12, you will give an account of yourself to God. And if in the midst of conflict, you have been offensive to someone else, or you have put a stumbling block in the path of your brother or sister by how you have spoken, how you have acted, you will have to give an account to God for that one day. That's how important it is to make sure that we don't lash out, that we're able to take a deep breath before speaking, and be serious and thoughtful about how we address one another in moments of conflict. And that can be a challenge because in the midst of conflict, emotions can be high. Certainly, depending on what the conflict may be, emotions could be very high. And whether or not the person that you're talking to is involved in sin, that does not give you a free pass to act toward them any way that you choose. You still have a responsibility to glorify God in your behavior. You have a responsibility and an opportunity to set an example in how we speak, how we conduct ourselves in those moments of conflict. Related to this, as we continue on in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, after Paul has reemphasized the importance of, of not being offensive to anyone, he says there in verse 32, 33, Just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many. In moments of conflict, we have a responsibility to remain humble. And not just humble, but so humble that we are seeking the good of whoever we are in conflict with. It doesn't matter what they have said to you. It doesn't matter what they have done. You have a responsibility to seek their good in the moment of conflict. And in order to do that, you have to humble yourself. And this can be a real challenge to us for a lot of ways. Because what creeps at everyone's door in the moments of conflict, not only is emotion, but also pride. Because we like nothing more than to be right in moments of argumentation. But the reality is that regardless of whether you are 
right or wrong as it pertains to the conflict. If you conduct yourself in a prideful manner, you are wrong. We must be so careful when we deal with our brothers and sisters that we remain humble. That I'm always seeking the good of the one that I'm talking to. And that's so obvious in the context of what Paul is dealing with here in 1 Corinthians, especially over the past several chapters, as he has dealt with this issue of whether it was okay or not to eat the meat that has been sacrificed to idols. And the conclusion that Paul comes to is, was there anything wrong with eating this meat? No, not, no, there's nothing wrong with it inherently. Is there anything wrong with not eating it? No, not inherently. But no matter where you fall on that issue... You can still be very, very wrong based on how you conduct yourselves towards your brethren. We cannot seek after our own profit. We instead must esteem each other above ourselves. Look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. As he writes to the Christians in Philippi, in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse number Three, he says, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. He's not saying that, he's not saying that we, must, we, we must only look out for the best interests of others when we're right and they're wrong, or when they're wrong and we're right, regardless of the situation, we have a responsibility to look out for the best interests of our brothers or sisters, to esteem them above ourselves, to humble ourselves in conversations with one another. It's an opportunity to glorify God. It's an opportunity to set an example. It's an opportunity to promote healing promote understanding and learning and love and compassion. But we must give serious consideration to these things prior to those moments of great conflict. Train ourselves to react in such a way. And by doing so, what we will find ourselves drawing closer to is what Paul says at the beginning of chapter 11 in 1 Corinthians. Through all of these things, we will become more and more like Christ. Imitate me, just as I also imitate Christ. We should seek to imitate Christ at all times and in all ways. But in context, Paul is encouraging the brethren in Corinth, imitate Christ in moments of conflict. In moments of dispute, you value what Christ values. In moments of dispute, you conduct yourself in the way that Christ would conduct himself. You act like he would act. You seek the same result that he would seek. And Paul tells us what that result should be. 
at the end of chapter 10, that many may be saved. That's what Christ values. That's what Christ wants. That's the outcome that Christ is searching for, that many may be saved. And so it's then incumbent upon us to imitate Christ in the way that we act and in the goals that we prioritize. If I am in conflict with a brother or sister, whether it is because of sin that has taken place or whether it is over a matter of opinion or anything in between, my purpose and my priority and my interactions with them is that they may be saved. And I hope and pray that they have the same purpose and priorities as they look at me. And if we all seek to imitate Christ in moments of conflict, it will be amazing at the results and the outcomes that we'll see. The unity that we all seek and desire will be manifest in a way that the world may look at and think, how does that even happen when there are people of such diverse backgrounds and so many different thoughts and opinions? How can they be unified in Christ? It's because we are seeking to imitate him even in moments of conflict. And I want you to be saved. And so I'm going to conduct myself in a certain way. And you want me to be saved. And so you're going to conduct yourself in a certain way. And together we can work through those conflicts. Each humbling ourselves. Each making sure that we're not placing a stumbling block or being offensive to our brother or sister. And each making sure that we are seeking to imitate Christ in everything that we do and say. And I look around our congregation here, and we are extremely blessed. We are extremely blessed to be at a great time of peace in our congregation. That doesn't mean that there aren't conflicts of any kind among brethren. I'm not trying to say that at all. But congregationally, this is a time of peace for us. And we should be thankful to God every day for that. That has not always been the case here. And the evil influences that surround us will do everything possible to make sure that there are times in the future where conflict rules here. So it's important in these moments and these times of peace that we train ourselves and we prioritize And we make it a point that at any moment of conflict, big or small, that may arise, I am going to act the way that Paul encouraged the brethren in Corinth to act in those moments. And I am going to seek to glorify God. So if we have a disagreement about something, we can talk about that. And my expectations of you will be that you won't be offensive to me, that you will humble yourself, that you will seek to imitate Christ. And your expectations of me should be the very same. And together we can work through those things. And in the process, glorify God and each become more like Him. 
What a wonderful blessing it is to be able to seek the unity in Christ that he describes to us. What a wonderful blessing it is to be able to have so many people of diverse backgrounds and truly, truly seek unity together. We must set our goals on being one. And through those moments of conflict, through the difficult times that have come and will come, we can use those moments in the same way that that fire hardens clay to, to harden our relationship with one another, to make it so strong that nothing can break it, to reinforce it, And to make sure that my brother and my sister know that I love them and that I care for them and that I want what Christ wants for them. I couldn't help but think as I start to draw the lesson to a close this morning that as Paul describes the importance of not setting a stumbling block or being offensive toward our brothers or sisters, the importance of humbling ourselves before one another, the importance of imitating Christ in moments of conflict. I I couldn't help but realize that Christ himself emulated all of these things on our behalf, no less. I read about the reality that all of us have sinned and that sin made us enemies of God. That sin put us in direct conflict with our Savior. And what did Christ do in the moment of conflict? He made sure to pave a way for us to find forgiveness and a relationship with him. He humbled himself to the point of dying on a cross for us. And he imitated his father and therefore set an example that we can follow to imitate him. He is the perfect example of how someone dealt with conflict. And the way that Christ dealt with that conflict is what has provided us with an opportunity to have our sins forgiven. He gave us an opportunity to be adopted into his family because of how he dealt with those things. His love shone through. And he has made available to us a home in heaven one day that we all can look forward to. But the reality is is that if we have not chosen to put on Christ in baptism and to take advantage of that path that he paved for us, then we're still living in conflict with God. Our sin keeps us in direct conflict with who God is, what he stands for, what he wants from us. And as such, it's now our responsibility to humble ourselves to recognize what our Savior has done, to recognize the importance of establishing a relationship with him through obedience and love, 
and to give our lives to him, knowing that he wants salvation for us. He wants that conflict to be done away with. He wants us to be in perfect unity with him, and he has made all of that possible. If you haven't become a Christian, you have the opportunity this morning to be baptized, to have those sins washed away, to have that conflict to be done with, and to be unified with your Savior. Maybe you have done that in the past, but maybe you also are now in conflict with God because of the decisions or the behaviors that you've chosen to participate in. Our God is so loving and so patient and so long-suffering that he stands ready once again to bring us back into his flock, to remove that conflict that separates us and bring us back to unity with him. If you're here this morning and you're seeking that unity and you want to be a child of God, looking forward to a home in heaven with him one day, we can help you do that. Just come to the front and let us know how as we stand and sing.